This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening. Thank you for joining. So the topic that we have at hand is the Siddha, the book you thought you knew. And I think specifically at this time, one of the many things that we can do to play our part in ensuring Be'ezras Hashem, with Hashem's help, successful conclusion to this war, with the hostages brought home and all our soldiers being safe, is investing in Tefillah, in Davani, a pathway, that connection to Hashem. One of the primary ways that we do that is through the Siddha. So I'd like to explain, as we start, exactly what I'd like to achieve. So many of us, perhaps all of us, are familiar with Sidurin, different types of Sidurin, each one slightly different. Lots of different Sidurin on the market, different Neschais, different versions, different styles, but all essentially, all essentially with the same Tfilis. And many of us will be familiar with various parts of Davening, depending on what we come for Shul for what is part of our regular davening routine. What I'd like to do with Hashem's help is to peel away the layers of the various prayers, the various tefillahs that we say, try and understand the basic meaning, perhaps even some deeper understanding, so that we can say what we mean and mean what we say. Because kavana, focus, meaning, is an integral part of our davening. Davening is meant to be an emotional experience. It's Avodah Shebalev. The Torah says, well, To serve Hashem with all your heart. And on that, the Gemara says, What is service of the heart? That's Davening, that's prayer. It's meant to be an emotional experience. The very word, which we use to take to mean to pray, really means to stand in self-reflection or to stand in self-judgment, which means that our davening is meant to be a transformative experience. So it's meant to be an emotional experience. It's meant to be a transformative experience. But often we can get so caught up with the technicalities of prayer or maybe even the regularity of it, the over-familiarity of it, that we miss that. But that is, as the Rishonim, the medieval authorities say, Davening without focus is like a body without a soul. The worlds are just empty vessels waiting to be filled with meaning. And perhaps the best way to start is with this beautiful quote from Rabbi Sachs. The Siddha is the map of the Jewish heart. Through its words, we retrace the steps taken by countless generations of Jews as they turn from their private hopes and fears to journey towards the presence of God. Or perhaps, as we say in Ashri, Korov Hashem Lachal Kairaf. Hashem is close to all that call out to him. It's just one condition. 
to all who cry out to him in truth, in sincerity. So this is the map of the Jewish heart. We need to understand what's going on inside, the structure, the movement, what's happening at every stage, what we'd like to achieve through the experience of tefillah, of davening, of prayer. And find our own pathway. Find our own pathway of connection through those holy words. So perhaps by way of the next part of the introduction, we need to say where this fits into the big picture of Jewish thought. Where does davening really come in? Yes, it's a mitzvah. But perhaps it's even more than that. If we take a look at the Rambam's 13 principles of faith, the Animamins, Animamin Bermin Shlema, I believe with perfect faith, we'll see that these 13, by the way, Echad, the word one, Aleph, Ches, Dalad, was Gematria of 13. If we look through the Animamins, we'll see they actually fit into three sections. Have a look. The first four. Animamin Bermin Shlema. I believe in perfect faith in the existence of a creator. He's perfect in every manner of existence. He's the primary cause of all that exists. We have the belief in Hashem's absolute and unparalleled unity. Of course, these are summaries. The belief in Hashem's Non-corporeality is not physical, nor that he'll be affected by any physical occurrences such as movement or rest or dwelling. Number four, the belief in Hashem's eternity. So the first four of the Animamins The first four of the Animamins We're talking about Hashem. He's an infinite creator who was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. He's not physical. Perfect unity. If we skip to the end, we have Hashem's omniscience and providence. That, that means Hashem knows everything. There'll be reward and punishment. Mashiach and Days of Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead. That's the goal. So the first four are dealing with the existence of Hashem, what we mean by Hashem. The last four are essentially dealing with reward and punishment. Because Hashem knows everything, because he presides over everything, he gives reward and punishment. There are consequences to our actions that will play out in the days of Mashiach, that will play out in the resurrection of the dead, and of course in Olam Haba as well. The question is, how do you make the jump? What is the bridge between the first four and the last four? The bridge between Hashem as a perfect unity, an infinite being, first, last, was, is, will be. And reward and punishment, the days of Mashiach, resurrection of the dead, eternal bliss. How do you make that bridge? How do you make that connection? And that, I think, is the middle five. Number one, or number five, as you wish, the fifth of the Animamins, is you're not allowed to, it's the imperative of worshipping Hashem. 
It's worthy only of davening to Hashem. Mustn't daven to or through anything else. We then have number six and seven, which is essentially prophecy and the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. That Hashem speaks to us. So number five, we speak to him. Six and seven, he's speaking to us. Number eight is the divine origin of the Torah. Number nine is that the Torah will never change. Mutability of the Torah. So if you like, relationships live or die on healthy communication. And healthy communication has to work both ways. So we, when we daven, we talk to Hashem. Were we to experience prophecy, he would speak to us. When we learn the words of the prophets, he speaks to us. When we learn Torah, he speaks to us. So it does work both ways. We speak to him when we daven, he speaks to us when we learn. Communication that works two ways. Which means that tefillah is essentially the fulcrum upon all of what all of this rests. Davening is the way we bridge the connection. We make the connection. Relationships live or die on healthy communication. We need to be able to express our feelings, our hopes, our thoughts, our desires to the Almighty. That's how we create that relationship. We as human beings have been given an elevated soul, which is really a part of Hashem. And that soul expresses itself through intelligent speech. Perhaps the most elevated way of using that intelligent speech is through prayer, is through davening. To use our power of speech to come close to the creator who created the world through speech. The idea of speech is to create a reality outside of yourself. So we're taking our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and articulating them through words. Words build relationships. That's why this is so important. Human being that goes through life without being able to pray, without without davening, without saying a sincere, sincere prayer to the Almighty, is someone that has never entered into a relationship with the Almighty. But similarly, and perhaps painfully, it's possible to go to shul for an entire lifetime and never experience that. You can know when to stand and when to sit, when to bow and when to stand straight, when to take three steps forward, three steps backwards. You can know all the motions, all the movements, you can know all the songs. And be missing out on so much. Because the paradox of prayers, on the one hand, yes, it does happen within a communal setting. But on the other hand, it's deeply personal. And again, it comes back to the fact that it is meant to be an emotional experience. It's meant to be heartfelt. It's meant to be passionate. And if so, we need to get beneath the surface. We need to understand really what's going on in order to have that experience, to be able to put kavana, feeling, direction, passion, into that which we say. So perhaps the simplest way of describing this is through the Rambam's 
description of how prayer developed. The Rambam Maimonides, in the beginning of his Laws of Prayer, gives an historical overview of how Jewish prayer developed. Have a look at this, and it happens in stages. And I think when we understand the context of how our Siddur came to be, we'll leave more enriched, more informed, and we'll have more of a structure through where, in terms of where to put all the information that we'll learn, please God, in the coming weeks. So the terrorist, the Rambam says, Mitzvah Saseh, there's a positive commandment, to daven every day. As it says, you shall serve Hashem, your God. The oral tradition taught us that this service is prayer, as it says, I mentioned it before, serve Hashem with all your heart. The rabbi said, what is service of the heart? This is prayer. As far as the Rambam is concerned, though, on a Torah level, there's no set number of times a person needs to pray every day. And there's no set text that you need to use. You can daven as often or as infrequently as you like, and you can use any words you want at any time of the day or night. So yes, as long as you have prayed once a day, you've fulfilled your Torah commandment to daven. Therefore, by the way, according to the Rambam, this is not what's called a mitzvah asesha as man grammar. This is not a positive time-bound mitzvah. You just have to do it once a day. It's not bound by any time. Every day you have to daven. Therefore, according to the Rambam, women are equally obligated to daven as men are. Because it's not a time-bound mitzvah. Were it to be only at a certain time of the day, certain time of the night, okay, then it's a time-bound mitzvah. But being that you just have to daven at some point during the day, it's not a time-bound mitzvah. And therefore, women are obligated in davening, as we'll see. Says the Rambam. And therefore, women, servants, chayavin, betwila, they're also obligated to daven because it's a positive mitzvah, which is not time-bound. What is the essential essence of the mitzvah? Elachiyav mitzvah hukach, zukach, she'adam mischanen umispal, the person should offer supplication and prayer every day. Magid shivcha shalakadosh baruchu, express praises for Hashem. And then ask for your needs, if you have any needs. And then afterwards you thank Hashem for all the good that he's given you. Each person according to their ability. So there is some kind of basic structure to, to, to prayer. It can happen anytime, any place, as often or as infrequently as you would like. But you're meant to praise Hashem, ask Hashem, thank Hashem. That's the basic formula. If a person would be eloquent, you can pray as much as you want. And if the person is aral inarticulate, you would also pray according to your ability to express yourself any time you want. And again, the number of times you daven totally depends on you. There will be people that will pray just once a day. And there will be people that will pray numerous times every day. Everyone that prayed would pray facing the Beis Hamikdash, facing Yerushalayim, wherever they were. This is the way that Jewish prayer was from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until Ezra. So from the time the Torah was given until the beginning of the Second Temple period. 
you would not be grabbing a quick minion for Mincha during the time of the first base of Mikdash. There was no such thing. Minyanu hadn't been instituted yet. Everyone would be saying different words at different times. There was no notion of communal prayer. When the Bnei Yisrael were in the Midbar, the Jewish people were in the wilderness, there was no minion factory at the Mishkan. Nothing doing. Everyone would daven freestyle according to their ability to articulate and express themselves. No set time, no set text, no synagogues, no shuls. Prayer was a free-flowing experience, according to the Rambam. The problem was that the Jewish people experienced national trauma. And we were exiled. At the end of the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. When Israel was exiled in the time of the wicked Nebuchadnezzar, the end of the first Beis HaMikdash, they became interspersed in Persia and Greece and other nations. Children were born to them in these foreign countries. And those children's language was confused. The speech of each and every one of them was a concoction of many tongues. No one was able to express themselves coherently in any one language, rather in a mixture of languages. As it says in the book of Nehemiah, the children spoke half in Ashtadit, the language of Ashtad, and they didn't know how to speak the Jewish language. Rather, they'd speak according to the language of various other people. Consequently, when someone would pray, he'd be limited in his ability to request his needs or praise Hashem, unless other languages were mixed in. People might be able to speak a few languages, but they were inarticulate. And everyone's speaking different languages. And therefore, something needed to change. As a result of the national trauma of exile, dispersion, decentralization of Jewish life, the Anshe Knesset Hagdala, the men of the Great Assembly, had to do something about it. So here you have Ezra at his court. This is at the time of the second base of Mikdash. They're the ones that establish 18 blessings in sequence. This is what we call the Shemona Esri. The first three blessings are praises of praise of God. The last three are thanksgiving, as we've said before. You can daven however you want, whenever you want. But it needs to follow this basic formula of praise, request, and thanks. And therefore, our Amida follows this basic structure. The first three brachas, praises of Hashem. The last three brachas are thanking Hashem. And by the way, those brachas are the same for every single Amida you will ever say. It's only ever the middle bits that change. Whether it's weekday, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's Yom Tov, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, those first three and the last three are always the same. Yeah, there's a few additions here and there, but the idea is that the same brachas. It's the intermediate brachas. The intermediate blessings contain requests for all those things that serve as general categories for the desires of each and every person and the needs of the whole community. So what have they done? They just standardized prayer for everyone. Thus, the prayers could be set in the mouths of everyone. Everyone can say them. They could learn them quickly. And the prayers of those unable to express themselves would be as complete as the prayers of the most eloquent. It was because of this matter that they established all the blessings and prayers so that each would be ordered in the mouths of Israel, so that each blessing would be set in the mouths of each person unable to express themselves. So they're standardizing it. They're standardizing an Amida. Amida is a standing prayer. A Shemona Esri, 18 brachas, 18 blessings. 
each one essentially based on a pasuk. They take verses and turn them into prayers. In order to understand any any bracha in the Amidah, you need to understand which pasuk it's coming from. They took verses from Tanakh and turned them into tefillahs, into prayers. That's the Amidah. Suddenly, they've standardized it. What that means is, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, the Jewish people are essentially unified. And part of the reason why this is so important is because the Anshay Knesset Sagadola were people who were able to see far into the future. They were wise individuals. They understood the second base Amikdash was missing so much. It was missing the miracles. It didn't have the, the Luchais. It didn't have the Aran in it. They realized Zelozet, as we say in Hebrew, this was not the real thing. They understood it was essentially a precursor to a very, very long exile. So we had this grace period at the time of the beginning of the second base Amikdash, where the Jewish people have a centralized authority. We have a temple. Many of us are living in our land, even though there was a big diaspora, especially in Babylon, which never came home. But we were centralized enough for them to be able to legislate and say one second. It is highly likely, if not incredibly probable, that we're going to experience exile again. And unless we have a unified set of values, unless we have a set text of prayer, Jews across the world will not be able to identify with each other. They'll be asking for different things. They'll be speaking different languages. They'll never be able to get together. Which is perhaps one of the reasons why a shul is called a Beis Knesset, a Bet Knesset, a house of gathering. Why, wherever you are in the world, you can walk into a shul and you will recognize the basic structure and basic outline of Davni. There are cosmetic differences in pronunciation and Minhagen, but essentially it's all the same. They standardized it for all time. More than that, we're all davening for each other, we're davening in the plural. We're davening for the entire Jewish nation. They're setting a set of values that we're reinforcing every time we daven, as we stand in self-reflection. It was an absolute stroke of genius. It maintained and preserved the Hebrew language. Because anyone that wanted to daven, at least in public, is going to have to learn Hebrew. Even if Hebrew would no longer be the language of conversation, as it was not even in the time of the second base Samikdash. Even if it's not going to be the language of study, as it was not for 2,000 years, it was always the language of prayer. The Hebrew language full, replete with mystical connotations, Kabbalistic connotations. The number of words, the, the, the shape of the letters, everything's significant. Everything's highly relevant. But they coded it all in all the different requests that we could possibly need. They coded it all into the Amida with a standardized text. They standardized the text. We're meant to infuse those words with meaning. They also decreed that the number of prayers, because remember we said, in terms of davening as far as the Torah is concerned, you can daven as many or as little times as you want, as long as it's once a day. They also decreed that the number of prayers correspond to the number of sacrifices. Two prayers every day corresponding to the two daily sacrifices. You can see, for example, the Karnim climbing up the ramp there of the altar, putting bits of sacrificial meat on the fire itself. 
on any day that an additional sacrifice was offered, they offered the they instituted the third prayer, that's called Musaf, the additional offering. The one in the morning is called Shachris, the one in the afternoon is called Mincha, and the one that is additional is called Musaf. That's what they established. Two obligatory prayers every day, and the third obligatory prayer on special days, Shabbos, Yom Tov, Rosh etc. They also instituted a prayer at night, because although there were no sacrifices at night, there was the burning of the fats and limbs on the altar. And the verse says, In the evening, morning and afternoon, I will cry aloud and you'll hear my voice. However, the evening prayer is not obligatory like morning and afternoon is. So technically speaking, according to the strict letter of the law, says the Rambam, Tfilas Arviv Rishos, Arvis Rishos, Mariv is optional. Even though it's optional, Nahagu Kal Yisrael B'chol Mokomis Moshviseim Nispalo Arvis, V'kiblu Alem Tfilas Chalva. Nonetheless, even though it is optional, all of the Jewish people accepted it upon themselves to Dava Mariv, and therefore, by communal acceptance, it has become obligatory, rather than by rabbinic decree. There will be some differences. For example, there are opinions that hold a woman is obligated in, in, in Shachris and Mincha, but not in Mariv. There are other differences as well, which are a bit more technical, for all intents and purposes. Mariv is an obligation. Certainly the Shema of Mariv is a terror obligation. But for all intents and purposes, Mariv is an obligation. It's just a lower level of obligation. For example, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have an opportunity either to have Mincha with a minion or Mariv with a minion. Should have Mincha with a minion, because davening with a minion adds so much to the Tfilah, to the prayer. And Mincha is an obligation, and Mariv is less of an obligation. Just another expression of that. They also added in another prayer as well, after Mincha, to be recited close to sunset on fast days only. Its purpose being to increase supplication and pleading because of the fast. This is called the Ni'ila prayer, as if to say that the gates of heaven are closed behind the sun, which becomes hidden, since they're only recited close to the time of sunset. We say Ni'ila only on Yom Kippur. There were, and Gomorrah deals with this, certain other fasts where historically they would have said Ni'ila as well. But our custom is not to do that. Thus, three prayers are recited daily. The evening prayer, the morning prayer, the mincha prayer. Shabbos is a in Rosh Chadashim, Shabbos Yom Tov, Rosh Chodesh. We add in a fourth. The three daily prayers plus Musaf. And on Yom Kippur we say five. Those four and Ni'ila itself. Now, those prayers cannot be diminished. You can't do less than that. But you should know, you can actually increase. If you want to pray all day long, in fact, the Gemara says, why not? Daven all day. Any prayer you add is considered like a free will offering. And therefore, you're only meant to daven a free will tefillah. You could just daven a Shemona Esri in the middle of the day if you wanted, as a tefillah nadava. But you have to add in new ideas that are consistent with the blessing, uh, with the blessing in the middle of the blessing. Okay, even just one, adding in one new idea is good enough in order for it to be a free will offering. Generally, our custom is not to do this. It is very rare for people to offer free will prayers, even though you should just know you can. 
that we don't do on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Okay? That this concept of freestyling davening is certainly there that you can add in another Amida if you want. But perhaps, even more importantly, a person can, can and should talk to Hashem in their own words as well. As well as the set text of the Amida, that original expression and mode of tefillah never went away. And we can and should talk to Hashem in our own words. Just as a technical point, the community should not recite a voluntary prayer, even if you can davene tefillah and the free will prayer by yourself. It's not something we do as a community. Okay? Um, you shouldn't say Musaf prayer twice, because uh, Musaf is always an obligation. And again, we say we don't do this in Shabbos and Yantav anyway, because in Shabbos and Yantav, we only offered up the set sacrifices of the day and nothing more. So the idea behind sharing these ideas brought down by the Rambam was perhaps just to give some structure, some historical context. We'll have to see how the Siddur developed, but the idea of the word Siddur itself comes from the word Siddur. It's ordered, it's structured, it's formulaic. It's meant to be that way. It does provide routine and structure and familiarity to our lives, to our services. No question about it. But I think what's really important is that these two ideas have to come together, this free flow of expression and closeness to Hashem, the ability to talk to the Almighty and share with Him what's in our hearts, what's in our minds, what our worries are, what our fears are, our anxieties are, to praise him, to thank him. All of that is very much part of life too. We can do that in our own words. We can do that through the words of Tehillim. We can infuse our own thoughts and meaning into the very words of Davani. Each one of them is meaningful. But perhaps the most important thing to start off with is that Jewish prayer is meant to be passionate. It's meant to be heartfelt. Let us understand the structure. Let us understand what the words mean and realize the more meaning we are able to infuse into the words, the more varied, the more colorful the experience is, the more enjoyable, the more pleasurable it is. It should be an enjoyable experience, a pleasurable experience. Having a conversation with the Almighty. He's waiting to hear from us. That's how we make our relationship with him real. Through having a genuine spiritual experience as we daven. Not just formulaically reciting the words because we know how. Rather saying the words. But allowing our minds, our spirits, our souls to soar free. To use them to express the deep feelings within our heart. So that's really by way of introduction. Please, God, as we go, we, as I say, will unpeel the various different layers within the Siddha. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.